Now I know, and I'm fully aware, that Halloween was on the 31st of October. And by the time you're hearing this, there's a strong chance that it's already November. Depending on when you listen to your podcast, it could even be December when you're listening to this episode. That, of course, would be episode number 31 of the DC Comics News podcast. And yet I'm here to tell you that I believe the holiday season of horror has only just begun. October 31st was just the announcement or the firing of the starting gun. Because from what I can see, at least to lead off this episode of the DC Comics new spinner rack, there are some frightful stories in the future. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and this week, just like every week, I will bring you my top five picks from all those books published by DC Comics. I could go into a very long harangue about so many things regarding this podcast, or we could just dive right in to my first choice, A Basket Full of Heads. This great horror story written by Joe Hill is illustrated by Leo Max, with colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Darren Bennett, and... Basketful of Heads was created by Joe Hill. I feel that this story has all of the best horror elements that you would want. A setting that describes a very frightful occurrence, a basket with voices coming out of it, and a figure carrying that basket across a bridge on an ominous night, rain pouring down, and perhaps a mystery on the horizon. But we don't get to linger in the present for very long, because what follows is a flashback, one that sets up all the best elements in a horror story. A young man, his last day of work, as a deputy, working the summer, for the most part, handing out parking tickets, reconnecting with his girlfriend, who just drove down to see him off, a grizzled old veteran, doing his best to deal with the announcement and discovery that four inmates ran off from a prison camp work detail and are somewhere on the loose. As the storm is moving in and the young deputy he's relied on all summer is asked to stay behind, watch the veteran's house and his family, and at the same time, look after his visiting girlfriend. There's more than a few cliffhangers to set up this first issue, and I think I would be doing a disservice by spoiling them all for you. What I can say is, between the light, the shading, the tone, and the great mix of characters, as well as a setting that I think, based on its time frame, should provide some really interesting challenges for our characters who can't simply pick up the phone and fire off a text. If you're looking for a taste of classic horror with a new style of writing and a feeling that is original and also singular in its approach, I'm going to recommend that you pick up a basket full of heads. And if you can't sleep, please don't bother me. I'll be, well, finding my own ways to deal with the horrors I've discovered. 
this was an amazing product, an amazing production, a really impressive approach, and an example of why I think Joe Hill's writing and talent as a storyteller will make him one of those names that we come to remember, much like those who've come before. Great concept, great execution, and a great experience for all you DC comic fans out there. For this one, I have no problem handing out a solid 5 out of 5, but I'll be curious to hear just what you thought about Joe Hill and a basket full of heads. Let's go ahead and move on to my second choice. Now for that second choice, I've gone ahead and made the also in its own right and designation a horror book. One that features a horror that can only come from compromise, betrayal, and the kind of lie that only keeps the peace for a short amount of time. My second choice is The Last God, issue number one. Now this great story was written by and created by Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Ricardo Federici, colors by Sonny Go, with Dean White, cartography by Jerry Blando, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Kai Carpenter provided the cover with Ricardo Federici, offering up a very gorgeous variant cover. The thing that I love about Last God is it shows a present celebrating a past, much in the way that I remember the story of Beowulf, one in which a great victory is believed to have been achieved, and later, not too later in this book, it's discovered that, unfortunately, the lie on which the present has been built is about to shake the very foundation of existence, civilization, and more importantly, the trust of a people. Now the clues are buried within ancient text, prophecy, and sadly, at least one, if not more examples, of infidelity. The characters are stoic, resolute, and more importantly, resigned. They know that at some point they made the wrong decision, and that now that decision is coming to bear consequences that only they can face. I really enjoyed the build-up to this and the recent advertising, pointing to the idea of two fellowships with two goals and the possibility of a future conflict. I love the art and the way it reminds me of some great fantasy titles that I've really been enjoying, those like Die and a few other examples that give a feeling of painted figures and backgrounds and a sense of not only wonder, but also otherworldliness. And overall, I feel it's a masterful production, a masterful example of how some of our heroes don't always have to wear capes. And just because a story features a character who is carrying a sword doesn't mean it has to be relegated to simple sword and sorcery.
I thought The Last God did a masterful job of introducing the concept, the characters, in issue number one. That's why I'm happy to give this one a solid 5 out of 5 and make it my second choice for episode number 31 of the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. As is our custom, now that we've gotten the first two books out of the way, we're going to take a quick break, bring you some ads, a little bit of info of all the things going on at DC Comics News and the world at large, and come right back with my choices for 3, 4, and 5. Thanks for your patience, and we'll be here right after this. Hi everyone, I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it, here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast, it's audio justice. (laughs) No, 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 it's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. And with that quick break out of the way, we're back for my choices 3, 4, and 5 for episode number 31 of the DC Comics News, Spinner Rap. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. Let's dive right into my third choice, and that would be Joker Killer Smile. Issue number one. There's been a lot of takes on Joker. If you've gone to the movies and recently seen the Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips example of just how far the Joker character and story can be taken, then you might feel, between this and a number of other Joker titles that have been out recently, that there's something of a saturation occurring within the market. And yet, 
whenever I find myself reading a title, expecting to at some point find elements that feel familiar enough that I feel it's either just a copy or something I've read before, and I'm just going to put it down, then something like Joker Killer Smile comes along. And what it does? Well, it continues to challenge what I think I already know about the Joker. Killer Smile was written by Jeff Lemire. Or is it Lemire? Sometimes, with some of these names, I just never know. Art was provided by Andrea Sorrentino, with colors by Jordi Ballar, and letters by Steve Wands. Andrea Sorrentino provided the original cover, with Kare Andrews providing the variant cover. The Joker has a bit of a history, corrupting the doctors who are assigned to take care of him, treat him, diagnose him, or just manage him. And in this new take, yet another brilliant, potentially groundbreaking doctor is put face-to-face with the man who continues to befuddle and frustrate Batman. And his way of approaching the Joker is to outright claim that he can cure him. But there's something that happens when someone interacts with the Joker. It's like there's a poison, an infection, a toxin that takes root in the mind and begins to replicate itself. Parasitic-like, feeding on the fears and natural revulsion with the concept of someone like the Joker. But because this is an insidious infection, it's something that feels unreal just beneath the surface, perhaps even a test, something to be overcome. And yet, by not acknowledging its true potential, the host becomes victim not only to the infection, but to the hubris that comes from not giving it the full degree of fear and respect it deserves. Just like a drop of infected blood, even though microscopic, its ability to destroy another organism is just as powerful as if it were an entire gallon or an entire liter. And yet this little speck begins to infect a new doctor. And there's this great suggestion made by the administrator who's working with this doctor, one that implies the history of Joker and his relationship with doctors is not unknown. And when she says, I won't lose yet another brilliant mind, it's hard for me not to flash back to Miss Harleen Quinzel, Harley Quinn, or the other doctors who came before her, each one full of hope, full of promise, only to find all those things shattered like so many pieces of glass against the impenetrable existence that is the insanity of the Joker. This is a great introduction, and for me, a surprise that yet another brilliant storyteller has found a way to make character story of the Joker fresh, original, and something I to continue reading. Mr. Lemire and your great team, you've earned from me 
a solid 5 out of 5 on a Joker book that I'll be honest, I had some doubts about. But I'm beginning to understand that sometimes it's through those doubts that I find the best resurgence of hope. Whether or not Joker is the kind of book that can keep hope alive, I'll have to let you know as we continue through into next issue and beyond. Once again, a solid 5 out of 5 from me on Joker Killer Smile, issue number 1. Let's get to my fourth choice. And for my fourth choice, I've gone with Nightwing Annual number 2. In the story of the very friendly owl, writer Dan Jurgens teams with artist Travis Moore, letters by and World Design, colors by Nick Filardi. With Dan Jurgens and Norm Ratman providing the cover. I'm going to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of the story arc in which Dick Grayson was wounded in Batman number 55, nor the temporary or permanent short-term amnesia that he suffered. It feels, in some ways, to be a difficult challenge. I heard a suggestion once that back during the storyline Infinite Crisis, there had been a consideration to have Nightwing die in that story. And while it wasn't the final action, there was, in a discussion between more than a few writers, the recognition of what it would have meant to lose a character like Dick, how it would have shaken the DC Universe, how in so many ways, for me, like Wally West, he represented the possibility of the future, how an apprentice, a sidekick, as they're often called, can eventually rise to take on a mantle equal to the person they trained under, yet not always about replacing them or filling their footsteps or their boots. So when Nightwing was wounded, lost his memory, referred to himself as Richard, and took on a new life, I was left with the challenge of wondering how long this would last and how soon it would be before comics would eventually change everything back to the way it was, give him back his memory, or make another maneuver that felt very much like something I would expect from comics. As it stands, the story of Dick getting shot, becoming Richard Grayson, and starting out on a new life, has persisted. And for that reason, in order to keep up, I've continued to read it. But it's not something that I've really been enjoying. It's something that has been more of a struggle. I feel that maybe in some ways it might have been easier to just kill Nightwing off. And yet at the same time, I'm also struggling with the fact that Watching him as this broken version of a great hero removes some of the element of hope that exists within comics, that so often there are moments that feel like they shatter that sense of trust, that sense of possibility, that sense that somehow the good against all odds can win, because in the end it was the violent and vengeful bullet of the KG Beast that destroyed 
Dick Grayson's life. And in the end, it was only done to get back at Batman. The possibility that even the best lives are subject to such perilous whims seems to undermine the effort those of us who don't even have one-tenth of his gifts, potential, or maybe even the brightness in their future must be asking themselves, how are we to get anywhere? I know I did. However, in Nightwing Annual Number 2, there is a great opportunity to see where the influences lie in the attack on Dick, the treatment he received, and how so much of it has been part of a larger orchestration by a force that currently has chosen to remain in the shadows, but when they have made an appearance, have been quite a terrifying presence and one with a history that backs a long-term goal and a future in which there is no Batman. There is only the new mantle worn by Richard Grayson. Despite the many concerns I've had regarding the present situation of Nightwing and his possible future, I will say that this story offered many moments of heartfelt grief and reflection and also demonstrated and illustrated the challenges that existed for the Bat family after this attack and the frustration and the concern following the recognition of how it had left their good friend, their colleague, in many ways their brightest hope as someone who they no longer recognized, more importantly, someone who no longer recognized them and no longer trusted them. Trust is a hard thing. Once it's broken, it's very difficult to get back. And in this story, it's clear to see that this separation will have long-standing consequences. And interestingly enough for me, that the way it impacts each character is both intriguing and not surprising. I thought that overall, this was a really great example of what it's like to delve into the past and through it reveal a clue about the events occurring that wasn't known at the time and could have very interesting ramifications in the future. Despite all of my reservations and issues regarding the character, I'm happy to go ahead and give Nightwing Annual Number 2 a very strong 4 out of 5. I thought that it did a wonderful job of recognizing the importance of going back to that moment, to showing the larger story at play, and more importantly, how, in many ways, the events that will follow are only possible because of the damage, one, that was done to Dick, and two, to the relationships that for so many years have been his foundation. Where will Richard Grayson go after this? Well, it's clear to see that his future will be manipulated in some ways. Whether or not he will have the ability to move beyond those manipulations to 
rise above them, even defeat them, is a story we're going to have to continue to follow. But I believe that Nightwing Annual Number 2 sets up a great introduction. Again, solid 4 out of 5 for me, and a great way to lead us into my 5th and final choice. Now for that 5th and final choice. I decided to go with the legendary John Constantine, appearing in Sandman Universe Presents Hellblazer, issue number 1, a story titled The Best Version of You. Now in this story, written by Simon Spurrier, with art by Marcio Takara, colors by Chris Peter, letters by Aditya Bitkar, and a cover by Bilquis Evely and Matt Lopes, matched by a variant cover by Declan Shalvey. We see John in a future, one that he's created, one in which his amorality, if not immorality, has brought a great cataclysm that he believes he could have possibly prevented, if not outright changed, if he'd only done more of what he knew he should. And then, in a rare twist, Constantine is given the opportunity to go back, to start over. Full of the knowledge of all the things he did wrong, and in a past in which he feels is very familiar, and yet he is also a complete stranger, without the connections, without the ties, without the community that he has come to depend on for so long, Constantine sets out on a journey to change the future that he created. But he'll have to do so without the people he's come to rely on, whether it's Chaz, Zatanna, or any other number of cohorts who have aided John in the past, in order to change the future the way he hopes he can. He'll have to rely on new faces, new powers. And of course, as he points out, because all magic comes with a price, this of course will mean new bargains, ones I'm sure that will have perilous consequences for that, well, oh-so-dastardly, Dashiell Hammett-like John Constantine. I thought this was a great introduction, one that provided more than one glimpse at a future self of John Constantine, and beyond that, you'll have to keep reading in order to discover just what that might be. But the journey itself is filled with a really interesting reflection by John and the storytellers on the life that he's lived so far, the future it was leading to, and the challenge for him to try and change it before it all goes horribly, horribly wrong. It's been a while since we've had a Constantine title, and it's great to see a bit of a, as he might refer to himself, rubbish magician, making his play to do something more than just get drunk, smoke a cigarette, and watch it all burn. I'm excited to see where he'll go and what he'll have to do. Because it seems that when you're journeying with John Constantine, 
It's the unexpected that makes each issue that much more enjoyable. This was a strong start, and I'm happy to give The Sandman Universe Presents Hellblazer issue number one a solid 5 out of 5. Maybe I could be more critical when it comes to these books, but when they're this good, giving high scores just gets easy. Stay tuned next week to see which five books I pick and add to this ever-growing list we call The Spinner Wreck. But before you go, a few details and reminders. For starters, no matter where you're listening to this episode, you can always find DC Comics News on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. So if you haven't yet, please head over to the platform you are the most comfortable on and subscribe to the DC Comics News Podcast. And if you haven't, rate and review. I think we're five stars. You disagree? Well, you can always share your opinion with me and everyone else on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you have to do is use that at symbol, you know, the A with the circle around it, and the tag DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O M I C S, capital N, E W S. Let us, let me know your thoughts about this episode, this broadcast, or any of the issues I picked, and maybe. If there's issues you knew were out this week that you think I should have picked instead. Always happy to hear your thoughts, your concerns, and your scores. And to remind you that once you subscribe to the DC Comics News Podcast, not only do you get a chance to catch every new episode of The Spinner Wreck, but you'll also catch weekly episodes of the DC Comics News Podcast Network. I'm lucky enough to join in with this great group, including Steve J. Ray, Brad Felicki, Kelly Gaines, Damian Fasciani, and so many more, including a few surprise guest stars who make an appearance every now and then. I also encourage you to check out my good friend Steve J. Ray, who continues his episodic breakdown of Batman the Animated Series in the original podcast, I Am the Knight. Again, an episode-by-episode look at the legendary animated series about the one and only Dark Knight. If you're not listening, subscribe to the DC Comics News Podcast and catch up on this and all the great content we've been recording for you each and every week. And as we always like to remind you, and certainly I love to echo, if nothing else, always read more comics. This has been episode number 31 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and I've been your host, Seth Singleton. Once again, thanks for joining, thanks for staying, thanks for listening, and if you get the chance to come back next week, well, thanks for doing that too. I'll be here. I look forward to hanging out with you. Until then. <laughs>